second lesson is taken from the gospel according to Matthew and is Matthew's account of the introduction to the Lord's Prayer. Let me simply begin at uh, the verse 1 of chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask it. Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Last week we began to look into the Lord's Prayer by looking at Luke's account of the introduction of that prayer. There is considerable discussion among biblical scholars about the Lucan version and the version in Matthew. I don't see why, because it's evident that Jesus uh, must have prayed this prayer on a number of occasions. And the disciple in chapter 11 of Luke who asks uh, Jesus, uh, Lord, teach us to pray, may not have been present when he gave the same lessons that he was giving in Matthew chapter 6. And so that's why I had us go to Matthew 6 today. A Christian has to live in two worlds. He lives in this world that you're in here this morning and that you're going to be faced with this afternoon and tomorrow and he also lives in the world of the Spirit with a responsibility to God for what he does with his time and with his money and with his devotion. 
In our first lesson this morning, we read from the 139th Psalm. And we read from that Psalm because I wanted us to see what Jesus is trying to bring out in the sixth chapter of Matthew in the great Sermon on the Mount when he teaches about almsgiving and about praying and about fasting. You see, in Psalm 139, that psalm is a tremendously profound psalm. The psalmist says, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my thoughts afar off. God knows all your thoughts right now. Every person in this room, every person who's listening on the radio, he knows what you're thinking. You may be able to fool other people. You can mask your hostility toward them by being flattering, by bragging about their tie or their suit or their hairdo, when really inside there's a lot of deceit. But you won't fool God because he hears all you think and he knows what your thoughts really are. And that's why it was so stupid for the hypocrites, and that's a, a play masking. It's the putting on of a mask. It's an acting. It's a performance. And Jesus was warning his disciples that the normal ways in which we express our devotion to God are through our acts of generosity in giving alms. That simply means the giving to help other people who are in need the expression of love or charity. But Jesus said, don't hold a trumpet in one hand and blow it in a penny in the other hand and give it so that everyone can see. I can remember as a little boy out in the church that I grew up in in Texas. It was back in the Depression days and money was hard to come by. And there was a fellow, you could, you could always tell him, he would pop his money before he'd put it in the collection plate and lay it right on top so everyone could see how much he gave. Well, he got his reward. He got his dollars worth of advertising when he, when he put it there. And Jesus warns against that type of hypocrisy because it's acting. It's giving in order to be seen of men. And not only do we give in order to be seen of men sometimes, and he warns against that, but we also debase prayer when we pray in order to be seen by people and have them think that we are really more devout and godly than we actually are. Remember the psalm a while ago, 139? Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. He knows everything that's in my mind before I ever speak the words, and I cannot fool him. And so Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites who stand on the street corners and make long prayers so that they can be heard of men because they have their reward. Their reward, their reward is simply to be seen and to be heard. And then he tells us about secret prayer. 
And then he gives us that wonderful example of prayer. I can never think of long prayers without thinking of uh, an experience I had one time of, of being up in Newfoundland at a, on a preaching mission for the Air Force. And uh, I flew over the Grenfell mission. Wilfred Grenfell had been a great medical missionary who had served in this part of Newfoundland. And I was at Goose Air Force Base preaching, and uh, I'm always trying to get a free ride in some fast airplane. And I went up in an F-102, and uh, it's a big Delta dagger-shaped airplane that takes off like a rocket. It was a real thrill. And uh, uh, I asked the pilot if he could fly me over the Grenfell mission. And uh, he did. And we flew down very low over it and looked at it. And I thought about Wilfred Grenfell, that great medical missionary who had gone there. He had been a student at a medical college in London. And he had seen posters up that Moody and Sankey, they didn't have big pictures then, they just had the names, Moody and Sankey, uh, would be uh, holding this big preaching mission. And so, out of curiosity, he went and sat up in the balcony uh, to see what this American, what these two Americans would do. And there was a great crowd and a lot of singing. And then a man stood up to pray. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And Grenfell, who was a medical student and weary of hearing the man pray, thought, well, this is not for me, I'm leaving. And he got up and started to walk out. And Mr. Moody got up out of his seat. He got tired of the prayer, too. And he said, would the congregation please stand and let's sing hymn number 333 while our brother finishes his prayer. And, uh, so when Grenfell heard this, he thought, well, that preacher's different. I think I'll stay and hear the rest of it. And so he heard Mr. Moody preach. And as a result of it, he gave his life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and he became a medical missionary. And he went to work with the folk in the frozen north there in Newfoundland. And one time later, he came to Northfield, Massachusetts, uh, where there was a sort of conference ground, a little bit like Montreat. In fact, I think Montreat was patterned after it. And uh, uh, he saw Mr. Moody. And uh, he said to him, do you remember me? I'm the medical student who heard you in London when you preach, and I've given uh, my life to Christ. And Moody said, that's great. What have you done for him? And uh, then the man went on to explain how he had become a medical missionary. You see, he wanted to put the faith to the test. That was, Moody was a very <laughs> a practical man. I, I get off on these stories about Moody. He was, uh, one night the hall was very crowded and uh, people were jammed in to hear Mr. Moody preach and, and uh, there was a, a very famous dignitary who was a Lord someone uh, and uh, someone came up and wanted to impress Mr. Moody, and they said, this is Lord so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, Moody stuck out his hand and said, I'm glad to meet you, Lord. He said, would you get a chair for this old lady? <laughs> and pointed uh, for the man to go and get a chair and, and, uh, to, for some poor old soul who needed a place to sit down. And that was the way Moody was. Uh, he was a person who put uh, uh, feet to his faith and action to it. And here when Jesus teaches us this prayer, 
uh, which begins with an invocation, and invocare means to call in. We call for the uh, presence of God and closes with a doxology, uh, which was not a part of the original text, but was very fittingly added to it. And then there are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer, and the three uh, that uh, have to do with our relationship especially with God, and then three that have to do especially with our own personal needs. And just this morning, I want to introduce a couple of those petitions. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, Father, our Father. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father only 14 times. And in those 14 times, he is referred to his Father as the corporate Father of the covenant people of Israel his chosen people from whom the Messiah would come. But here, Jesus uses the word Father. And this uh, word uh, Father is actually Abba. And it's an affectionate term, like a little child would use in referring to his daddy. And it could have sounded so familiar that it would have been shocking uh, to a Jew because Jews held God's name in the greatest reverence and we would do well to see that he here teaches us uh, two things. One, uh, that we may refer to God because Jesus has a special relationship to him and those who believe in Jesus, our Messiah, we get to refer to God as Abba too is our Father. And Jesus wants us to know that. And all through the four records of the gospel, with all of the times that Jesus prays, he always uses that familiar word, Abba. The only time he says God is when he cites from the 22nd Psalm, when he is nailed to the cross, my God, my God, Why hast thou forsaken me? But all the other times, he says, Abba. And this could have sounded shocking at first, but then he explains. He wants them to know that they may refer to God in this loving, familiar way because he knows their needs before they asked him and that he lovingly wishes to meet those needs and he wants us to ask. We are to pray, not because God needs to understand what we need, but because we need to know that God wants us to pray, to have fellowship with him and to talk with him. And that's important for us to keep in mind. Remember our psalm again. Lord, thou knowest my thoughts afar off. And he wants us to understand that and to keep it in mind here. I put in the bulletin today a little thing by uh, Ruth Graham on prayer. She tells how she was driving home from Asheville and uh, she had Ned with her younger son and he kept urging her to hurry. He said, go faster, mother. But he was too young, said Ruth, to read the road sign that said 45 miles per hour. And again, He said, pass him, mother, wanting her to pull the car around another car on the road, but he was too small to see that there was a 
yellow double line. And then she began to apply the brake, and he said, why are you stopping, Mother? And she said, there's a school bus ahead. It stopped, I replied. And I thought to myself, when God is at the wheel, we may request, but never insist. We're too young to read certain road signs, too small to see what lies ahead. And then she puts this key thought from George MacDonald. There is a communion with God that asks for nothing and yet asks for everything. He who seeks the Father more than anything he can give is likely to have what he asks, for he is not likely to ask amiss. There may be a long interval between the two claims, ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full, but the end of true prayer is always joy. That's a thought well worth keeping in mind. So Jesus teaches us to use this uh, loving way in reference to God as Father Abba. Now, what would you pray for first? Let's think this morning. God is here in Gaither Chapel, and he is. And you want to pray. What would be the first thing you would pray for? What's the first thing Jesus prayed for? The first thing he teaches us to pray for and that he prays for, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The first thing he prays for is for the hallowing of the name of God. For a name to a Jew was more than something that the postman would use to deliver a letter. More than a label, more than a tag. It tells us about the character of the person. We are far, far too flippant with the name of God and we much abuse speech. There are many dangerous words that are spoken which should not be spoken in profanity and in blasphemy. And God wants us to correct that. He wants us to be holy. And he wants his name hallowed. If we claim to belong to Jesus Christ, then we ought to have speech that proves that we belong to Jesus Christ and is typical of what Jesus would have us to say because he hears all that we say anyway and he sees all that we do anyway. So we cannot be actors with him. He knows what we are. But do we, is the first thing we pray for that we might hallow his name, that our lives might be so consistently Christian that when we go out of Gaither today and go away home, 
that the one thing that would have happened to us most in church would have been a, the creation of a hunger and a thirst after righteousness that would make us holy. Just as that psalmist in, a in the 139th Psalm trembles when he thinks, Thou hast searched me and known me, thou knowest my thoughts altogether. And he knows our thoughts which are bad and which are hypocritical. But he also knows our thoughts which are good. He knows the yearnings that we have to be cleaner-minded. He knows the yearnings we have to really give more of our time to help other people. He wants to push us on in that which is right. Abraham Lincoln said, there is one of the Beatitudes that I can qualify for, and that's blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I want to do what's right. A few days ago, Susan Whitaker died. Mrs. Whitaker used to clean the dormitories here for Montreat Anderson College, and she worked also for the Mountain Retreat Association. I can still remember her old 1939 Chevrolet that she used to drive. She was by nature a very timid, meek woman, but I found her to be a sweet Christian lady. And I was honored when her family called me and asked if I would officiate at the service for her. And so on Friday, when I wanted to go see John Whitaker, her husband, I had to go down to Dogwood Manor. And I went in that place, and you know, I was shocked when I saw some of the people so pitiful. And then I went to see John, who's had one of his legs amputated. And then I thought I ought to go back home and get a hyacinth or some flower that's pretty and smells good and bring it back down here. And I went home, got it, and brought it back to John and prayed with John. And I thought I ought to come down here more often. I ought to witness more often in this way. All of us ought to. This hallows and honors the name of the Lord. It brings honor to him. But we usually do not pray, really pray, until we get into big trouble. I can remember very well at the Mayo Clinic when the doctor came in and told me I was going to have to have a heart operation, that I was in the middle of a heart attack. I didn't have a bit of trouble praying. I prayed. You go in that big gleaming room and look at all those lights and saws and knives and everything else around and all that machinery, and I guarantee you, you will be very inspired to pray. You won't have a lick of trouble praying. You won't even need a prayer book. You'll be able to pray. But why do we have to wait till a time like that? 
Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. That's an argument from silence. I believe in the reality of heaven, that it's just as real as this thing here is. And I know that everybody that's talking about heaven ain't going there. And that it demands of us a life that is consistent. It's under the Lordship of Christ. And we need to be thinking about that responsibility too. And sometimes the Lord shocks us when we go through those barren seasons. I have a friend who makes it possible for me to go and walk at the Biltmore Estate. And the other day I was over there and I was driving and I... You know, in the summertime when all the leaves are on the trees and you drive way around down by the creek and up down by the French Broad River and then look back, you can't always see the castle because the leaves are all over the trees. It's full of green foliage. But in the wintertime, the leaves are all off the trees. And you look up there on the hill and there's that big castle. And I got to thinking that this is the way it can be when trouble comes we can see the Father's house in heaven far prettier than any castle that earth has ever seen. And we can see the reality of it through the tears and through the heartache. Yesterday, we received the sad news that Wilson McMakin had died. And some of us prayed for Donnie Bush and for Wilson's family. We can pray for Mrs. Whitaker's family. We can pray for our friend Warren Loftus, who is in the coronary care unit at Memorial Mission Hospital, because we know we need to pray. But we ought to remember that the castle is always there. Even when the leaves are full and things are going nicely. And we ought to be praying to the Lord that he would guide us and lead us in the right way. He taught us to say, Father, Abba, one who cares for us, one who loves us, and one who wants to make us what we ought to be. There are many other things I could say about that, but our time is gone, and perhaps the last hymn will say it better than any of us could. It's printed on your bulletin. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. Let's bow in prayer. And now, O oh God, our Father, we pray that thou wilt bring thy fresh cleansing power to each one of us so that again we may lay hold of the salvation which thou hast offered us through Jesus Christ. We do pray that for all our deceitful hearts and crooked thoughts, 
for all barbed words spoken deliberately, for all thoughtless words spoken hastily, for all envious and prying eyes, for all ears that rejoiced in iniquity and rejoiced not in the truth, for greedy hands, for wandering and loitering feet, for haughty looks, for all of these things we pray that you will have mercy upon us. Help us to know that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And Almighty God, may thy spirit of purity and grace in asking thy forgiveness make us to realize that we cannot claim that forgiveness as a right except through Christ Jesus our Lord. Help us to know that we can plead no merit or desert of our own, that we can plead no extenuating circumstances, that we cannot plead the frailty of our human nature, that we cannot plead the force of our temptations, that we cannot plead the persuasions of others who led us astray, that there's only one thing we can say, and that is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Jesus' sake. And for his sake, we pray that you will teach us the lessons which we needed to learn this day and help us to practice them in our daily walk. This we ask in his name.